This podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, The Interchange Bench, quality, long and short-term staffing. And Vital Smarts, are you having a problem with a family member, friend or work colleague? Are you too scared to raise the issue or simply don't know how? Vital Smarts Crucial Conversations training will teach you this speak-up skills to be able to talk to almost anyone about almost anything. Making tough conversations simple, Corrie. Visit vitalsmarts.com.au. What was your weirdest Easter moment? I have never been more stunned by some of the results over the weekend. How Port Adelaide went over to Perth and beat West Coast. How Fremantle, who have been hopeless, travelled to Canberra and beat GWS, who never lose at Canberra. I mean, I'm relating it to footy again. It was a weird and wacky round of football. I'm turning into my mother. She used to put things like that away and say, oh, I'm keeping it for the best. When does best ever happen? Why the next year and I doesn't say, no, no, Mr Prime Minister, this is not a bubble question or whatever stupid word Scott Morrison used. This is a legitimate question. Answer the question. Carol, I'm very impressed after our 12 slash 14k walk. You went home and made cock van. Might have whipped up a bit of beef burgundy. Might have also made a quince tart. I think this is the first time I've ever been into one of these dunnies. And you know the theme music or the elevator music that came on? Play Misty for me. Oh, that is bizarre. Seriously? (laughs) Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Corey Perkin. This is episode 82 and we are relishing our post-Easter glow. And with me is award-winning journalist... And the Quince Tart Queen of Victoria, Caroline Wilson. I wouldn't say we're relishing our post-Easter glow. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I virtually waddled in here. What is it about Easter and food, even when it's hot weather? Well, I was talking about this with my daughter-in-law, Lib, yesterday, how we think that the Christmas New Year period is the one where we stuff our faces and we all kind of groan and walk off to the beach determined to have a new year of not eating ever again. But in fact, Easter is the killer for me. Yeah, because you do the whole seafood build-up on Good Friday, and I've heard a lot of reports about your one-tray salmon, which you talked about last week and served on Thursday night. But then you sort of go into the meat side <laughs> side of it and poultry side of it. Not to mention the buns and the chocolate. It's just oh. a feast. But also if you have a late-in-the-season Easter... Like there's been times when Easter has fallen on my birthday when we're all in bathers just having seafood and salad and that's okay. But when it's later in the season, the end of April, you light the fire, things are a bit colder, you put on the stew. Oh, I'll have another potato well, with ex- that. Except for this year. <laughs> another glass of red. I was swimming on Saturday night. Well, I wandered, was very weird. wandered to the pub in wet bathers and thongs. I mean, it was bizarre, Corrie, for April. Absolutely um, weird. So, Carol, you nailed the April challenge. You nailed the quince tart. Your footy team won. You've had a lovely Easter. All is right with the world. But you do have an apology, I think, I about do. the book title. I do. <laughs> what is it with Sally, you and I book titles? Sally Rooney wrote a book called Normal People, Not Ordinary People. That, of course, was a wonderful – well, it was a great film directed by Robert Redford in his directorial debut and it won an Oscar with Mary Tyler Moore and Donald Sutherland. But it's got nothing to do with normal people. I'm reading another one in a similar vein that I'll tell you about in a few weeks, Corrie. So sorry, everyone. Sally Rooney's book is called Normal People. Corrie, I'm so excited. I'm just flicking through the notes. And Brendan and my first ever Danish nanny, we had a few Danish girls come and live with us, as you know, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, has got in touch. She heard about our tips to a successful marriage. And she would have seen a few um, hiccups along the marital path when she lived with us because young, young babies and full-time jobs are a challenge. Um, Isn't it lovely that she's t- she's contacting you from Denmark? Karina was beautiful. I will never forget she came to Australia and moved in and she'd never seen a cantaloupe. And I remember Anna from the op shop saying, I'm worried, Caro. I mean, you know how Anna has that vernacular? Is it never even seen the old lope? <laughs> what, how is she going to cope? Anyway, she's been married happily for 15 years. So thank you, Karina. And thank you to all the people who love Brendan's tips. I was reminded by one of our podcast friends, Katrina, that I left out a sense of humour, which is a great tip. You also left out the cup of tea in the I morning. I left out too, the cup of tea in the morning. Which is my criteria for a good husband. And, was, and mine. We alternate. I don't know about you. There alternate, what, husbands or tea? No, the cups of tea, Corrie. (laughs) 
And that's the one thing we never no, argue my husband about. Doesn't, no, my husband doesn't drink tea, so I'm the lucky recipient most mornings. No, but I you trained it. him up, I remember, early I did. on. I had to train him up. It yep. took a bit of a while too. Lots of lovely comments about the Jamie Oliver salmon tray, salmon bake, um, all in one tray. So that was great, and we did cook that uh, on Thursday, Easter Thursday. Um, and there was on our Instagram account... Uh, Caro, quite a lot of love for you and Brendan. Lots of happy anniversaries. Thank you to everyone who just felt the love in the room. Uh, and including Med underscore Donahoe. <laughs> Donahoe, actually. You've known me for how long? You can get in the I know, but I, lo- I love saying Donahoe <laughs> when you actually read it out um, because it is spelt the same as hoeing the lawn. Um, who happens to be your son, he said, the secret to having a good marriage, have a perfect son. Oh. And Lynn Wright, our, our great potty listener, chimed in and said, Ned Donahue and two perfect daughters, referring, of course, to Rose and Clem. Oh, and there was lots of um, lots of, lots of lovely um, comments about Brendan's. We'll have him on again, uh, potties, before the election is out. And I just wanted to mention, uh, of course, next week, Cara, we have a live podcast recording Event. Well, we're always live, but we're actually in person. <laughs> well, yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're not doing this on replay last Are you time dead? I looked. <laughs> I feel dead today. The Miracle Mums Breakfast. So this event is taking place on Tuesday, April 30th, and we invite all of our listeners to come along. If you can come before work to our breakfast or if you're not working that day, just grab a friend or come in with your mum or your daughter or someone. Make the most of it. We're here to help the Royal Women's Hospital this time and we're going to launch their amazing Miracle Mums campaign. So the podcast is occurring at the Town Hall. We're going to be having breakfast with Lord Mayor Sally Cap and a couple of other visitors from the Royal Women's Hospital. We're very excited about that. The event starts at 730 and if you would like to book, and we'd love it if you did, we've got over 100 people coming now. I think you and I know most of them. Actually. Do we? Good. This will be fun. There's a busload coming down from Hamilton, which is fun. Hi, girls. And Anna, um, Anna from the op shop and Julia, my mother. They're going to be on the guesting. panel. Yes, that's good. And our dear friend, Lynn Swinburne, of course, who is chair of the Royal Women's Hospital Board. But you'll find links on our Facebook page and in the show notes, or you can just Google Miracle Mums and don't shoot the messenger and the event will pop up into your um, whatever electrical device that so you're reading from. April 30, next Tuesday, 7.30 a.m., Melbourne Town Hall. Pop it in your diary. Can't wait, Corrie. And um, I'm going to tell you oh, – well, I'll, I'll tell you about it in a minute. But now, I'm going Yeah, introduce. Sorry. Yes. You're, you're, <laughs> sorry. Uh, it's my turn this week. I remember? know. I'm a bit uh, fuzzy. Just, you know, you just have to just chill out and just enjoy the journey, Caro. Now, I just wanted to uh, check in on the goal of the month for April. And it does seem that it, it, in this – coming up to the last week of April, both you and I have nailed our challenges. You first. Well – after all the wonderful suggestions and all the wonderful recipes, and thank you, everyone, I took them all down to the beach and I perused the quince tart suggestions. I think I'm going to do it again next weekend, but I, in the end, went for the old tried and true. I got out the Stephanie's, what's it called, the Cook's Companion? Yes. And she has a brown butter quince tart. It was one of the easiest recipes. So you I've... didn't try the Janes who dropped off their recipes at the bookshop? No, I'm going to do one of the Janes next week, and I my, my friend... I've got, well, I've got many friends, but my lovely friend Kath O'Dowd got in touch and hysterically she had an old article written by Jeff Slattery that he has no memory of writing that he delivered. The, it's a Herman Schneider quince tart recipe involving polenta. There's a lot of polenta comes up a lot mm. with the Janes as well. And she makes this, and then she sent me a photo. She lattices the pastry over the top and Jeff tells her how to do it. And yet Jeff, until I re-sent him the article, had forgotten. <laughs> He's written so many articles in his He was his pretty years. happy though with it. That's I've what happens say. when you're 97 years of age. You just have so many articles. You just forget them all. But Jane and Jane and I have the snippy snip. Miss Jane, not the other Janes. Miss Jane and I have the snippy snips with you today because, of course, you forgot to bring in a piece for us. So we're really pretty shitty about that, I'm Caroline. very sorry. But all I can say is you can make it the day before, serve it at room temperature, serve it with a bit of lovely fresh cream, mixing in a bit of the quince juice in the cream. And if you have, and we also had this beautiful homemade quince jelly. Um, which we served alongside it, and also a bit of extra poached quince. 
triumph. Oh, well, it was nice to be invited, wasn't it, Triumph, anyway. <laughs> Or at least have some in a doggy bag, not. But when I last saw you, we'd had a very, very big morning we'll talk about in a minute. You were going home to tend your new veggie patch. Yes, so two boxes were uh, constructed some time ago and Pete, husband Pete put the soil in and it was all ready for planting. And on Thursday, he was coming down to the beach and said, I'll, I'll pick up the veggie seedlings for you. Um, what do you want? So I, of course, te- text him. Not, I didn't want to be too ambitious, Carol, because there are only two boxes. You know, six by broccoli, six times cauliflower, six times rocket, etc., etc. Winter vegetables. Yeah, correct. So I then get a text a couple of hours later. I'm standing out the. I'm standing outside the discount meat place. Do you want me to whiz next door to the veggie place and pick up the vegetables? And I thought, at what point did he think that we were actually? I, I don't want vegetables thought, mature. I want <laughs> to grow them. You nitwit. <laughs> he brought, he didn't bring home six cauliflower. No, but he was going to. <laughs> did he think? That, did he wonder why the table wasn't set for eighteen? <laughs> <laughs> what was he thinking? Anyway, once once we got over that, he then made his way to Bunnings and the seedlings came home. But guess what? One punnet of each. He said, well, you said you wanted six punnets. I said, no, six times broccoli means six t- punnets of broccoli. Anyway, he was actually right if because, of course, we can't do a job, Corey, if do you it yourself. To, yep. But, Caro, the problem is, of course, is that you've got to plant your cauliflower and broccoli, but they say about 50 centimetres apart, and I put them closer together. Mm. And, of course, I did have lots of seedlings left over. A common error made by the first-time <laughs> veggie patcher. That's right. Anyway, they're in. They're being watered. We will post photographs if anybody could care less on Facebook and Instagram of our quince tart and our veggie patch. And um, we've achieved the goal. So tick the box on that one. That was pretty good. Now, Easter, uh, again, we talked about just before about how much we love it and how much we've eaten. Let's run through a couple of highs and lows. Of course, the low for me would be the news uh, the other night hearing that not only had those wonderful father-son combo from... um, Port Campbell. Yeah, the, the dairy farmers who had lost their lives trying to save somebody in distress, but also Sri Lanka blowing up nearly 300 dead, including two Australians to date. And when we, you know, when you have a family member over there, thank God... Uh, lovely Alice, who was married a couple of weeks ago in the family, um, text us to say she's on a honeymoon, of course, with Joel to te- you know text via Facebook to say all okay, you know, big sigh of relief. But it's just been such a terrible sort of end to Christmas. Not to mention Easter, the road toll. Yeah. Like sorry, Easter. Not to mention the road toll. Please, everybody, keep driving very slowly and very carefully. But on to the highs of Easter, Caro. What was your best meal or dish of the weekend? No, absolutely no question about this, Corrie. The crab pasta my mum made for me on Thursday night and we ate again on Friday. It was angel hair pasta. She's going to give the recipe at the podcast next week at the Melbourne Town Hall. Oh, terrific. But think chilli, think crab, think little baby fried breadcrumbs. Think, oh, um, no wonder you didn't come to Din's at our place if that was being served. Lemon, a lemon rind. It was one of it. She'll go through all the ingredients. Of course, she kept apologizing for it all the way through, as mum always does. It was one of the most incredible pasta dishes I have ever eaten. The Beautiful. mixture of the crab and the chili and the breadcrumbs. Anyway, so that was mine. What well, about you? in your absence, the Jamie Oliver salmon tray bake did not let us down. It was absolutely delicious. The key to this is how long you cook the salmon for. It's such a tricky little fish. This yep. was absolutely perfect. So happy with that. What was your best outdoor pursuit? Corrie. Two things. The 14-kilometre walk. It was actually 12 on my... I know. Well, and our friend Tanya I said 14. I think you're 14. exaggerating. Well, Tanya said 14. I'm going with hers. We walked. We had a beautiful walk on Saturday morning, on the most beautiful sunny morning, but it was a bit breezy. We walked to Point Nepean and looked over at the lighthouse at Point Lonsdale and just went, we are the luckiest people in the world. And you were there? Yes, and that would be my highlight too. There were five of us. And the swim, the the swim I had on Saturday evening as the sun was setting was a close second. And best indoor pursuit? We didn't have any Scrabble this Easter. No, we didn't. But Mum and I have just learnt that we um, played in a Good Friday charity bridge day and we got master points. I don't know what that means. We came third and we got over, we got oh, about. Jane, are we excited about that? Corey. Oh, joy. Yes. No, that's great. I'm always encouraging about your golf. Not only did we get master points, but we ate Easter eggs and hot cross buns and 
all was right with the world until my sports editor texted at some point and said, Column still hasn't arrived, and I'd sent it at six a.m. that oh, morning. Kelvaroy, so, what did the bridge ladies say? Well, I let you out to go and. It was a bit distracting. I finished the bridge, I rushed home and sent it again. But that was a bit. That was all a bit dramatic. But yeah, so getting master points is always a good moment in. Oh bridge. well, I'm happy for you. I don't what know about what it means. you? Well, my highlight was absolutely in two days. Starting and finishing the new Dominic Smith novel. So you remember he wrote The Last Painting of Sarah DeVos. I'm he dying has, to hear about this. He has this. a new novel coming out in June, which I'll talk about in a few weeks' Also, time. can't I borrow it yet? Have I got to wait till June? Well, I don't know whether booksellers are allowed to give out advanced copies to the average public. I'm not sure about that. Um, I'll have to oh, see. Average public. Average public. <laughs> I'm Sorry. <laughs> Would you like me to tell the publishers at Alan and Unwin that it's Caroline Wilson? What about friend, fellow podcaster and famous now book reviewer? I don't know about that. I don't know. You might have to come back on the pod, on the book pod. You haven't been on for a while. You have to earn your brownie points. Anyway, it's called The Electric Hotel and everybody must look out for it. It'll be in bookshops the first week of June. So that was my favourite indoor to pursuit. It's about the silent film industry. It is. It's, you it, had a real skipping around your time. step about oh, this one. I just, you know when you just can't wait to get home to finish in a book or see what the characters are up to? And I must say I haven't had that feeling for a couple of months, although the book I'm going to talk about today uh, did um, did absorb me in that same way. Um, best chocolate moment for you, Caro? Oh, well, not that many, but I've got to say, as you know, dark chocolate is my thing. And mum actually gave me in a beautiful tin, which had, a, it was all green and grey colours and it had a big bunny on in the middle, um, Hague's Peppermint Creams. Hague's, I mean, Hague's is just the most fabulous chocolate. And I must say, I spent a fortune there last week just buying things that I should never have bought. But, you know, I did, bought heaps of dark chocolate. And, um, but I've, I hadn't had their dark chocolate, chocolate peppermint creams. I had one of those every night, including last night, just before bed. With your cup of tea. With my cup of tea. I love the way a peppermint cream will melt into your mouth, oh. into your throat. It almost hurts a bit on the roof of your mouth. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can get dud ones, but this was a quality. What about you? Well, it, I have to say it was Jane Lamerton, our friend of the pod, Jane Lamerton, the dress designer. Her chocolate mousse on Saturday night at her dinner was absolutely to die for. She's, I said, what's the recipe? She's actually sent it to me. So in a couple of weeks, I will talk about it. It was just to die for. It's from her friend, Tony. Um, and I've just decided I'm going to call it Lamo's Luscious Mousse. And I just said, <laughs> oh, yeah. and so she sent me the recipe, but then she's added, Corrie, I added some brandy and I said, well, how much? You know, we need exact measurements. And she said, oh, you know, a good glug. <laughs> oh, look, isn't that funny? Because my recipe this week involves brandy. So, so we all have to go out and buy brandy. So yeah. that was just absolutely 1970s moment delicious. Now, what was your best viewing moment over Easter? Did you watch any telly? Oh, uh, well, sorry. Or movies? Or? Well, yeah, but it was, you were going to just roll your eyes. Well, seeing the Tigers have a good win over the Swans on Saturday night. Actually, on... it was a pretty good game. Well, it was just... Oh, it, it, it was St Kilda, probably. Dustin was... was back. Everyone gave him best on ground. I'm not being mean about Dustin. I thought Shane Edwards, who's Richmond stand-in captain at the moment, was absolutely sublime. So that was my best viewing moment, as boring as it might sound. What about you? Well, I didn't watch much telly, but uh, I have to say that Restoration Australia, 7.30 ABC Sunday nights, is fast becoming my favourite show. You know how I love a Kevin MacLeod-esque sort yep. of, you know, build a home Yeah, I'm not so... Not, he's no Kevin. I mean, he's, he's no Kevin. I mean, but I, he's kind of sweet. I like the New Zealand sort of one better. Well, no, New Zealand Grand Designs is fantastic because they have yep. such great taste over there and amazing settings. But Restoration Australia is very interesting, taking old buildings and how you repurpose them. So that's good. And what was your weirdest Easter moment? Well, this is, yeah, this is sort of a difficult one. Um, I, I think, I mean, again, I'm going to relate it to the football because, and we're going to talk about it in our footy tips, you know, at some point during the week, Corrie, but I have never been more stunned by some of the results over the weekend. How Port Adelaide went over to Perth and beat West Coast. How Fremantle, who have been hopeless, travelled to Canberra and beat GWS, who never lose at Canberra. I mean, I'm relating it to footy again, but that was, it was a weird and wacky round of football. It was a bit. My weirdest Easter moment, and I, it, some of this will come up in GLT later on, was cleaning out the pantry, which I think you should all do once a year. There was a reason for me to do it. Uh, and discovering 
three panna cotta. You know how we've been talking oh, about the panna, yeah. <laughs> the panna cottas that grew. Yes. Four boxes of chocolates, which people have given me over the years. I'm turning into my mother. She used to put things like that away and say, oh, I'm keeping it for best. Surely well, put them best, in the fridge. When does best ever happen? When do you? Anyway, and seven jars of homemade jams and marmalades and honeys, which people have bought you know, along the way saying as a hostess gift or something. Yep. And they're all sitting there again. I'm saving them for best. And I just thought, what is this with me and putting things aside? I don't repurpose them. Like I don't go to someone's house and re-gift, take, you know, re-gift. Although I did do that with my friend Penny. I, <laughs> uh, hi, Penny. I did take the chocolates that I think Anna or somebody had bought the night before. I took them over the next day and we were having drinks. But anyway, that was okay. That's because, a shocking thing to do. Oh, no, Unless I didn't you fess any- up and you say, look, listen, I've got all this something. Well, I think I might have said that. I took a bottle of champagne too, which I'd actually bought. But anyway, regardless of all that crap that I'm going on about, I just want to know from Potties, do you have a thing like a present drawer? I want to know what do you put in your present drawer? How long do you keep it? And what happens if you forget who gave it to you and then you give it back to them? <laughs> well, that, that is, that's difficult. I have a present drawer and sometimes it's just it's absolutely brimming with great ideas. I opened it the other day and it's just like bits of old, you know, white sort of um, linen with a bit of embroidery on to put a pair of, I don't know what in. There's a few packs of cards, you know. Not Do you every- think sometimes the children go through the present drawer? No, I just think it's ha- my present drawer is having a real... Do you know what I did once? Going through a real downer my, ma- my mother had a present drawer and in it, I'll never forget this. In fact, this came back to me when I was cleaning out the pantry. She had a, a box of, um, you know, those mints, those after-dinner mints, which were really thin and yes. you'd had a little bite and it was yep. white cream inside. Yep. Not nearly as well, nice as a Hague's dark chocolate peppermint cream. Well, I don't know. I must have been about six or seven or maybe 18, who knows really. But I got into this. I opened it and I thought, if I open this really carefully and just nibble one, she won't know. So I would go in there and I would break one in half or in a quarter and I'd eat it and then I'd go back a couple of days later and eat another one, thinking that mum would never notice. But imagine if she didn't. (laughs) She gave it it to your mum. Your mum opens it up. (laughs) What's, What's happened to half the... Well, the, be, the you know what the best thing is for a present drawer, and I I do this most summers, and I usually go to your shop to do it. Buy about five classic books that you absolutely loved, and put them in your present drawer. Yeah. Because if you give them to Agreed. someone and they've already read it, they don't really mind because they're probably happy to have it in their bookshelf. Well, or they you, can regift it. They can regift it, and I'm happy for them to do that. Sorry, just one more weird thing that happened to me. I went to my letterbox. And there was a letter from my brother. I thought, this is nice. My brother sent me, and he owed me some money. So I opened it. I thought, oh, don't tell me he sent me a check. You know, why didn't he just transfer it? He sent me $100 cash from it's Sydney in the mail. In the mail. So, and, and I thought, well, it was quite nice. To, it was pretty weird to Did open it. Did have a card around it so the postie couldn't see it? A piece of paper. Do you know what he'd written on it? Neither a borrower nor a lender be. Oh. <laughs> he didn't even sign it. No, dear Caro, no love will, neither a borrower no, nor a lender y- be. You won the footy tip. And or- $100, no, he actually legitimately owed me the money. $100 in cash. I mean, who posts cash in the mail from Sydney anymore? Well, I would have done an EFT. But anyway, look, that's Will. He's old-fashioned, your brother. He, we have to get him on the show sometime. Yeah, that, that I want to get. I want us to do a brother's episode with your brother and my brother. Two people could not be more different. Two more diametrically opposed <laughs> men. I do not know. I think that would be really funny. Um, okay, Caro, just quickly on the election campaign, I don't want to go into the arduous, you know, argy-bargy of policies and things like that. But I do want to talk about how you reckon the journalists are covering it thus far. And I, I was really interested to um, have have receive a text from you or, or whatever it was the other night just saying David Marr's observations on the insiders. Um, I saw that too and I also, my ears pricked up. Do you want to talk to that for a minute? Well, uh, it, my ears pricked up because he the, they talked a lot about this bu- the buses, you know, the buses that are following the two leaders around and how expensive it is now to be on a bus and with media losing money, you know, no one's... There are there are fewer and fewer journos on the bus, and the ones who are, they everybody seems to have an agenda, and they they covered two very poignant issues or moments. One with Scott Morrison, one with Bill Shorten, where journos had an angle and a really good question to both of them, and the leaders just completely fobbed them off and refused to answer. 
and mocked them and refused to answer them and then said, okay, that's enough from you, Caro, Corrie. And as David Ma said, why aren't the journos working as a team? Mm. Where is the teamwork? I mean, it's fine to have your own agendas. And yes, you've got editors who want you to break your own story or follow this particular angle. But there are times, Corrie, we need to work together. And politicians, I mean, you and I arrived this morning and you were up in arms about a Barnaby Joyce interview from yesterday where he just shouted down the journo. But when you've got an all-in press conference... And someone won't ask a question, won't answer a question, and they are getting so good at it now, and that is so frustrating. Why the next year and I doesn't say, no, no, Mr. Prime Minister, I'm, this is not a bubble question or whatever stupid word Scott Morrison used. This is a legitimate question. Answer the question. And everybody just insists. And as David Ma said, the lack of... There's nothing collegiate about these groups anymore. And that's just, I mean, there, there probably is to a degree, but we're not seeing it on these bus trips. And I think that's really disappointing. Well, if you want to see, I agree with you. And, and if you want to see how it works brilliantly, just watch uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' media conference at the White House when, again, the same thing happens. So you might have a CNN reporter ask a question and she ducks and weaves and avoids it. And then the Washington Post correspondent will come in and say, just a minute, Sarah, you didn't actually. And she'll say, next, 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 like this. And they actually is, they are working as a team because they have a united purpose. I'm not sure what the united purpose is here. And also so many of the journos are doing so many media gigs. I often feel like they're half distracted because if they're not covering the story of the day and preparing their 800 word analysis that night, they've got a file for, uh, you know, the midday drop online. Yep. They've got they've got a they've got they've done a deal. And they've done and they've done a deal. Yeah, and they've done a deal with a radio station or, you know, whatever it is that they might be doing. They all seem to be so scattered in their energy. And then they've got a podcast. I mean it, you know, it's it's some um, every the margins have been cut left, right and centre and that, but that doesn't excuse the lack of teamwork by the journos. And um I'm I'm not really sure I mean it's still looking like Bill Shorten will win. He, dro- he dropped a bit last week, though, bub- bumbling around with superannuation and uh, yeah, the Yeah, but he put his hand up and apologised straight no, he away did. I was and pleased said he stuffed that. up. I mean, it was a stuff up, but at least he admitted I just, it straight I find, away. I find both leaders particularly uncharismatic. I'll tell you who yep. I am drawn yep. to is Chloe Shorten. She has, um, she has some sort of pizzazz, and watching her connections, which seem incredibly sincere with uh, – as you say, average Australians, but as she's on the campaign trail, she is one of uh, his great assets, I believe, and so is his team as well. Scott what about- Morrison, I just feel he's trying to take uh, a real leadership role in this. I don't feel I'm seeing as much of his front bench as I'm seeing of Bill Shorten's shadow front bench. Well, because I, I think, I mean, there's some pretty ordinary perform. I mean, they've lost so many. They've been decimated, haven't they? The government. I think um, that um, decision to ask the cameras into the Pentecostal church on Easter Sunday and then have a go at wicked social media for accusing him of doing Hitler salutes. He talk about deviate from the topic, but I just want to bring up. I mean, there's always there was always going to be a social media gaffe somewhere, and this um, Kate Ashmore, who's running for yes. the Libs in the is it McNamara, the old yes, Melbourne McNamara. Ports. That's exactly and, right. And you know, she's done the lipstick on a pig emoji relating to Chloe Shorten. I know Terrible. it was two years. Years ago, but what? no, shocking, are absolutely these, shocking. I read that this morning. Idiots, are they? Com- I mean, how stu- sorry. Just when you mentioned Chloe Shorten, I had to bring that up. But oh. how unprofessional as well. And whether it was two years ago or twenty years ago, nah, I agree. That's- I love the way you put your hands in the air. There, hot bodies can't see that. There was a really interesting article in the Age, Caro, uh, earlier this week by Sean Kelly, and he he raises the question of whether the five week campaign, five or six weeks, is too long, and he actually argues quite succinctly that yes it is too long everybody's getting bored and he said someone is going to panic this campaign is 38 days long by the time Easter comes yep. around eight, eight days have gone and now we're into public holiday limbo he asks are long election campaigns relevant and I tend to agree with him why not just keep it to two surely the electorate by now knows what they want to do and oh no I like a long election do campaign you? yeah I don't I don't you're, think you're clearly a woman who's never covered one no. <laughs> so, uh, can I just say I have, and it's a long time on the, the road. The finals go for a month. That's a long campaign <laughs> as well. Oh, for goodness well, sake. No, you're well, not on a bus for seven hours driving around with 30 of your cohort. 
I, you can I get think... to go home after the finals and have a bit of a grog in the bar afterwards. Yeah, but and... not, they're not on the bus for five weeks. They get, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's just, you know. We're going to do crush of the week now, and I believe you have one. If it's a Richmond football player, Jane and I are just going to, you know, put on our high heels and stomp off. Mm. Um, but our crush of the week, of course, is thanks to our friends at the Interchange Bench. For players to take your work team to the top of their game, head to the Interchange Bench to fill any professional level role in any industry and sector, both short and long term. Just call 1-800-I-BENCH or you can go to interchangebench.com.au. Caro, who is You're half crush? right, Corrie. You're half right. It is a footballer but he doesn't play for Richmond. He's an AFL footballer. And because um, in, in your footy riding days, you would have known all about him, but you probably barely know who he is. He's the captain of the St Kilda Football Club. His name is Jaron Geary. He's one of the AFL's so-called no-name captains. His biggest crime, I think, in the past has been that he's not Nick Revolt, and he replaced Nick Revolt. He Big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill. It's like they say that about Jake Nile at the age. Bendigo... <laughs> Jake is not a no name though. Look, he is one of the most one of the most charming young men you will ever meet. He's actually thirty now. He performed an act on Saturday night against Melbourne that was one of the great acts of courage in footy I've seen this year, willing himself to stop a Melbourne goal and in the process in the last quarter, well, I think well, it was the third or fourth quarter suffering a cork thigh that was so swollen and so dangerously potentially infected by Saturday night, they had to slice his leg open. He'll have to stay in hospital for a week for this to get better. But he's just somebody who has quietly gone about his business. He has been inspirational at that footy club. Nick Revolt earmarked him as captain two years before he gave up the captaincy. And I did a gig for St Kilda last year, um, I think it was around International Women's Day, and I remember him coming up to me at the end and thanking me on behalf of the club, just personally for coming along and being on this panel and giving my time, blah, blah, blah. That's normally the job of a CEO or the footy boss or the president, but this was the captain. He's a Bendigo boy, great friend, went all the way through with Joel Selwood, a much more famous AFL captain from Geelong. They're still best friends. He is one of the more impressive people you will ever meet, and he is so brave. And he's my crush of the week. I like that crush, and Caro. his and I, club is now top or sec, equal top of the ladder. And I did think that St Kilda played with such heart. And I'm glad that nice coach Alan Richardson is getting a, a you know a time in the sunshine. Well, he has worked so hard all these years. Yes, it Sometimes is. Sometimes he's a bit hard to understand because he talks with his jaw closed. <laughs> but apart from <laughs> not, well, it's sort of it's just that every time players are interviewed lately, they all talk about the great work of Brett Ratt and, and Brendan Laid, the two new assistants who've come to the club. And I sort of think, oh, a bit hurtful oh, for Alan. I know, I do too. But he needed some better people around him and things are going a bit like Damien Hardwick a few years ago. So all good. Okay, so we're going from the sublime to the ridiculous now. You're happy with St Kilda's captain, but you're grumpy about something. Now, this is a bugbear of mine and people who know me will go, oh, she's not banging on about this again. It makes me so angry. Corrie, as you know, you and I are going on a walk in June on the other side of the world. And I looked yes, at... Yes, Iceland, those volcanoes. No, we're not going to Iceland. We're going to Cornwall. We Fill can me with this. fear. I looked at my passport yesterday and it expires in September. Guess what? It it doesn't expire in September. The truth is, it, it expires actually, in June. It ex- to get a new one. No, it expires six months before it actually expires. That's why I because, got a new passport two weeks ago. Well, you talked about this last year. Did you not take your own advice? Well, I no, because I didn't need to because it still had it didn't expire until September 2019. Now, if you go overseas in June for two weeks, and you have a passport that expires in September. There should be nothing wrong with that. And when when you talk to anyone at a post office or anywhere across Australia or at customs or wherever, passport control, they all say, oh, no, but they won't accept it in Europe. That is absolutely not true. They accept it in Europe. They accept it in Asia, America. It is only Australia where you have to have six months. So just say... Passports are valid for nine and a half years. They're not. A, they're not valid for ten years. Mm. And the other thing is, take a, ex- take a second mortgage on your house, Caro, to pay oh, for your new passport. Really? As I just discovered, it's been a while, so I have to. Goodness, that came in the same day as the Vic Police fine for my speeding outside Hamilton. There I am, you see. I said before people shouldn't speed, and I'm now fessing up. I lost three points. Um, Your driving offences since this podcast started have been... uh, My my defence is I was chatting to the groom in the car, so I was really 
having a lovely time and I wasn't looking at the speedo, which was just shocking, bad performance. I've said this before, two words, cruise control. Anyway, really disappointed, so cross, and now realise I've got a six-week deadline and getting a bit nervous. Can I just ask you on that too? I have a credit card, well, my only credit card, and it says that it's due to expire on the 7th slash 19th. Because we're travelling in the sixth month, that's all right. will I get in trouble? No, nope, you're fine. What if I go somewhere and they say, sorry, not valid? No, it's not like stupid passports. No, they actually stupid expire. passports. Well, Take they, that passport they expire office. when they say they expire. Mm, fair oh, enough. Don't get me started. Okay. Now, BSF is brought to you by our new show sponsor, Caro, Vital Smarts. I just love the name of that company. Globally proven crucial conversations is how they describe their work and it is important work too. And they help us all with tools and confidence to deal with even the toughest conversations, particularly in the workplace. Like when Chris Yard and Matthew Lloyd have a go at you for being mean about Sam Petresky's seat and and saying he's not consistent. (laughs) And then he actually is best on ground. I think think those boys need to go off to Vital Smarts. Or maybe you do to get the confidence to biff them perhaps. (laughs) Oh, no, that would be very unbecoming. So no. I'm going to kick this off verbally, with a, Verbally, um, Biff, of course, Corrie. <laughs> <I'm, laughs> I don't know about that. Um, I'm going to start off with a book, Caro, and this is one that this is a, this is a rather um, uh, um, obvious uh, plug to the book pod, which is our little sister podcast, because the book I want to talk to you about is the current episode that's up my interview with author Andrea Goldsmith. Her new novel, Invented Lives, is I just, love Andrea Goldsmith. Uh, Look, I haven't read her book, latest books, but I've read some earlier ones. Lots of reasons to love Andrea Goldsmith. Many, many reasons. She's a beautiful storyteller. She comes up with really interesting ideas. She usually sets them in contemporary Melbourne, which is always interesting. Uh, but she just has just a lovely uh, sense of characters. And this story is set in the mid-1980s, Caro, and it focuses on issues of migration, assimilation, family ties, old friendships that you leave behind and new friendships you make in your new place. And then, of course, all those physical and emotional difficulties that new migrants face when they are trying to kickstart their new life and their new narrative in a new place. So this Invented Lives opens in St. Petersburg and Galina, who is a young Soviet woman, she's a book illustrator, very talented, and it's at the dawn of Glasnost. And Mikhail Gorbachev has come out and said that if you are of Jewish heritage, you can apply for and you will be given refugee status. You can leave the Soviet Union. No strings attached opportunity to migrate. So Galina and her, after the death of her mother, and that is not a spoiler alert because it is, it, it's on the back of the book and it happens early. Um, Galina decides that she is going to migrate to Australia. And this is the story of her arrival. She decides to uh, live in Carlton. So there's a wonderful sense of Carlton in the 1980s. A lot of our favourite places like Reading's Bookstore, the Vic Market, they all appear. Uh, and she makes she makes uh, some really important friendships. And um, in particular with the Morrow family, Sylvie and Leonard, who have secrets of their own, and their adult son, Andrew, who is totally smitten with Galena. But can she kind of move comfortably from old life to new life? And will she fall in love with him? That's kind of like the romantic tension throughout this book. It's a really lovely novel, but also for book clubs, Caro, because it looks at at uh, ref- refugees and making the decision and how difficult it is to actually decide where you're going to live and then settle in. Uh, I think for book clubs, this is a great book. It's very relevant to where we are now, particularly when we face these important issues such as asylum seekers and who should we or should we not let let into the country. So that is the book Invented Lives by Andrea Goldsmith and in a good bookstore near you. Now, can I I just quickly say, 1991, she wrote a book called Modern Interiors, which has always been one of my favourite Aussie I think we read that at the same time, actually. And the other one that she wrote more recently, and I think we did it for book club um, about 10 years ago was Reunion, yes. which is about the Oxford ones who come, they start out in Melbourne, go to Oxford, and then they revisited 20 years later. They, she can be quite dark, but she writes so evocatively about the middle classes and women in particular. I, I love her. I love She's her great. too. Yep. And she also, because her, um, her, her dear uh, longtime partner, um, Dorothy Porter, the well-known Australian poet, died of cancer a few years ago. Were they when, partners? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, they were. That. And um, they, uh, she was in a grief-stricken state. She talks a little bit about this on the book pod. And 
but she's able to so comfortably move into that space of talking about grief when Galena's mother dies. It's a really beautiful book, so I thoroughly recommend. Now, Caro, we're going to talk together about our favourite screen and our screen recommendation, which would happen to be the old Call the Midwife. Oh, it's such a brilliant show, Seven isn't series it? is on now, everyone. It is so brilliant. Did, did, would, could Jennifer Worth have known when she started writing? It was basically her, her memoirs, wasn't it? It was, it was yes. Heidi Thomas, the producer, there, turned it into uh, yeah, a series. Yeah, there are two books that she wrote, and in fact, they, I think they're still in the bookshop somewhere in the biography section. Um, but who, who would have thought that this could just uh, trigger off such an entertaining and well-received by the critics series is this one? Yeah, look, I, I don't think it's ever, ever gone off. I, I thought when Jessica Rain left that it was going to be damaged, but it wasn't because the character of Trixie... Who's now pregnant and not and hiding it not very well. Oh, I know. Like she looks like she's been in a good paddock and, in and, fact, she is pregnant and they're shooting around her. They're not going to sort of kill off her character or anything. They're just sort of shooting around her. The... Um, the um, who was the actress who played um, Chummy? She was... Um, I loved her. Jen... Um, the British comedian. Yeah, um, It'll come to us in a minute. Anyway, I think the themes, it is such a brilliant idea to devise a series about what it was like for women and couples in that area, the East End of London, you know, post-war, no money, and this group of nuns and nurses and the relationships between them. I mean, Jenny Agata is just absolutely brilliant in this. She is such a wonderful Well, actress. on the show on the weekend, Jenny Agata is faced with a dilemma as Sister Julianne. She's faced with a dilemma because uh, there has been um, an incident in the within the, the, the nunnery um, with, a, with a, a person who's broken in to take medicine, which she hopes is going to uh, prompt an abortion. And, of course, this is terrible to have happened in a sacred place. And the nuns ask Sister Julian, what are we going to do? And she, she decides that the girl has been through enough. We're just going to let it lie. Sometimes her moral, moral dilemma is fantastic. And she usually, nine times out of ten, comes out on the side of sanity and what is the right thing by the patient rather than what you know, the message from God might be. I, I've, I love it, Carol, and I love Trixie. I love, I mean... Miranda Trixie, Hart, by the way. Oh, that's coming. right. How could I possibly forget? Yeah. Thank you, Miss um, Jane. But, but Trixie Franklin, played by the wonderful Helen George, has, has gone through so many highs and lows. And brilliant. I've just worked out this most recent episode, how they're going and why they are going to take her off for a couple of episodes so she can have the have her baby in real life. I've just worked out why and it could be something to do with the bottle. Oh, okay. So she gets back on the bottle again. Um, oh. Yes. So well, you, have to, you have to watch last week's to see what prompted it. Because she used to be such fun with her cocktails and her curlers, but then it sort of we, we saw the darker side of why she drank so much. I mean, the deals, it's had the themes have included, you know, thalidomide, sexuality, religion, um, post-war traumatic stress, the dealing with um, abuse, the elderly. I mean, it, it is so sad and so it can be so poignant sometimes when it involves elderly characters. And the birth scenes are just brilliant. They are. And all those babies. Look, Coco and I have a thing that whenever we sit down to call the midwife, we know we're going to cry. We actually try and have a competition not crying in this episode. Yes, a bit of course, of, sure enough. A bit of crying happens in our house too. Now, I've got a quick recipe. It's very simple and I made it on Sunday. I didn't show off like you and said it was the best thing I ate over Easter. <laughs> it was very nice. And it is an old classic. And it, it fills half a page in that wonderful book that can be read like a novel, Elizabeth David's French Country Cooking, which, of course, revolutionised cooking in Great Britain in the 50s. And then You and course, Lamo should get back together get together oh, and do a 70s dinner party with her chocolate mousse and your Elizabeth David. We should. We should. But Elizabeth David's Coco Van, and my brother and I agree there is no other way to do Coco Van but this very, very, very simple recipe. The only thing I don't do that Elizabeth did is that I get the chicken cut up into eight pieces. She does the whole cock, as she says in the recipe book, you know, well, I use a big Le Creuset. So very simple, Corrie. Chicken cut into eight. Just toss the whole thing in lemon juice, salt and pepper. So all, all legs, thighs, whatever. Yep, just eight pieces. Brown it off. How many are we cooking for here? 
Well, if there's eight, if it's a whole chicken, I guess you'd say six or four. Or but I make double, and then we eat it over the next two days. It's actually still <laughs> still some in the fridge. This is so simple, and it's so beautiful. As Jeff Slattery always said to me many years ago, don't use your cheap leftover wine. Use a really good bottle of either Beaujolais, Merlot, or in this case, I used a really nice bottle of Pinot. Brown off the chicken in a heap of butter. Elizabeth David, I think, uses about. Lord, I think it's about half a pound of butter, but I sort of halve that again. And no oil or anything like that. You brown it off and then you flambe it with a small glass of brandy. So you pour the brandy into the chicken, which has got all the lovely, you know, burnt bits at the bottom of the pan. One glass for you, one glass for the pot. (laughs) No, but I've now got the brandy, so I might nip into a bit of a brandy and orange. A brandy cruster. Brandy brandy and orange was always my mum's favourite drink when we were... Anyway, so you flambe it, so you light it, and it all flares up like the old Christmas pudding, and then you pour. It's really fun. It's a really fun thing to cook because the minute you're getting a bit worried about the flames, you pour a full bottle of Beaujolais or Pinot over it. So that puts out the flames. And then you put the lid on. Lordy, by this stage, it's a drunken chicken. <laughs> you put the lid on and you leave it. Well, <coughs> or a she, drunken caro. Elizabeth says for an hour and a half, but I tend to do it the day before because I reckon it's best the next day. And if you're entertaining, then it's already done. So I think maybe just leave it cooking for another 45 minutes and then when you heat it up the next day, the rest of the cooking happens. So can I just ask, did you cook this on the morning of your lunch or the day before? Day before. Right, okay. Day before. But then the other, there are only two other ingredients, mushrooms and baby pickling onions, baby onions. So that is the most fiddly part of the recipe, the baby onions, because you're meant to toss them around in a little bit of red wine and sugar and obviously um, and obviously some, um, some more, more butter. <laughs> There's a lot of butter. That's another advantage cooking it the day before. You can take off all the... Fat and buttery stuff the next day. And you don't put any bacon bits or jambon or anything like that in it? No, no. Bill Granger has a modern take on Coco Van, which uses white wine. But this is the classic Coco Van, as they did in France, as Elizabeth David revolutionised all those years ago. So rather than do the onions in a frying pan, and there's a lot of tossing and it's very fiddly, I just put them with a bit of butter and the red wine and the sugar, toss it around and put it in a tray in the oven for half an hour and that browns them for on about 180. And the other ingredients, the button mushrooms, and I, I used, um, I think they were like the little brown shiitake mushrooms. I got them at the market last week and you cook them in more butter and then you add the onions and the mushrooms into the cocoa van about five minutes before you serve it. And did you serve it with mash or... You should serve it with mash or rice or tagliatelle, my brother does, but I served it with roast potatoes because it was easier and I didn't have time to mash a whole lot of potatoes. Carol, I'm very impressed after our 12 slash 14k walk, yet to be determined exactly how long, that you went home and made coca van. Might have whipped up a bit of beef burgundy, might have also made a quince tart. Wow. Anna, Anna from the op shop sent us a photo of her sound asleep that one of her family members had made, sitting in the sun with the paper over her, with her mouth open, which could have actually, somebody could have taken that same photo of me on my deck chair, exhausted after the walk. I'm so impressed you had all this energy. Well, no wonder you didn't want a game of Scrabble on well, Saturday afternoon. You well, were too busy. Well, and I also, well, I actually also went down to the beach, which was so beautiful. It was just a perfect day. I love cooking, and yes, I love I cooking when you're not it, under the it? pump. You know I what s- I mean? I completely agree. It's just it's, it's never a chore, is it, when you're in a lovely environment like that? Okay, six quick questions, and my first question to you: the booing of Gary Ablett Jr. at the footy this week. Fair or unfair, and do you think it was prompted by his social media commentary? Liking the Israel Folau yes, religious correct. post. Or do you well, think it was just Hawthorne Or hate posts, depending on what you think. What? Hawthorne supporters are good booers. They, they were one of the first to boo Adam Goods and didn't ever really, the club as a whole, never really put their <coughs> hand up and admitted that or, or talked to their supporters about doing the wrong thing. And I've always sort of been a bit cross with Hawthorne, a lot, very cross with Hawthorne about that. They did not understand what their own supporters were doing. Yet the commentators, uh, Tim Watson and Brian Taylor, who were calling the game on Easter Monday, said that they felt it was related to Gary Ablett's decision to like Israel Folau's now infamous post. Gary Ablett was spoken to by the AFL and by his club very briefly. And to his, cre- to his credit, he actually took down the like very quickly 
after he'd done it and later explained himself by saying he just likes people's posts like Israel Folau and he didn't really realise what he was liking when he liked it. That's what he said. He is booed because he's a champion, but there was something about that booing on Monday and I think it was related oh. to the Israel Folau. Uh, I didn't really like it. I didn't like it at all. And um, if you're a Hawthorne fan, you shouldn't have liked it because the more they booed him, the better he played. But I also didn't like what Israel Folau did and I'm got some fairly strong opinions about that. So I'm a bit conflicted, but yeah, I think it was related. Corrie. You know, Corey, <laughs> some of your questions. What's your I, most, keep, I like to keep you and Jane on your toes. What's your most peculiar public toilet moment? Did this happen on our walk, Corey? <laughs> no, this happened a little while ago, Caro. So, you know, there's a new trend, or it's not that new, actually, because I can remember you and I walking one day and you went into the first one and I thought you were going to be beamed up to the moon. <laughs> you know those stainless steel public dunnies which try to pass themselves off as community works of art? God save us. Yes, um, yes. And you go inside and you lock the door and... Music comes on and you're not sure what button to press. Oh, as you know, I was locked in one once with my dog outside. It was a terrible experience. I can imagine. This is one of the first, I think this is the first time I've ever been into one of these dunnies. And it is a bit of a shock to the system, <laughs> especially when you lock the door. And you know the theme music or the lift music, elevator music that comes that came on? Play Misty for me. Oh, that is bizarre. Seriously? <laughs> I mean, if you're in a toilet, why not something more appropriate like she came in through the bathroom window or bridge over troubled water oh, or something? Cory, Play Misty for me. I, so, I, I've never bothered to actually judge or listen to what the music is. So you're sitting there doing, you know, your wee-wees, and this music's playing going, oh, this is weird, get me out of here. And then... I always like to start the water and then do the flush. I don't know why. That's just what I do, especially when they're so close together. Deep psychological damage You cannot start the toilet. You cannot start the water until you flush the toilet. Well, there's no sign telling you that. So I think the whole thing's busted going, oh, how am I supposed to wash my hands? Then flush the toilet. All of a sudden, the water's coming out on its own. It's Oh, get me out of there. I was like a mad woman when they opened the door. There was Remember when we used to walk around that beautiful Fairview Park near the Yarra River? Used to lose you in there every single time we well, went in there. But the other, th- what that one did, which was worse than being locked in, was that the door would automatically open before you were finished. <laughs> so I was always so terrified about the door opening. The last thing I was worried about was the quality of the music. What's wrong with the old? Concrete dunny block entrance for men, entrance for women. No locks on anything except the door that you're behind, and nice sorbent toilet paper. Yeah, I know, I know. Even <laughs> I the just, door, even that too automatic. much to ask. Oh, it's foul. Uh, Caro, question to you: Autumn swimming, wetsuit or no wetsuit? Certainly not. Oh, for God's Certainly. sake! You, I'll ask you in three weeks. Have you ever seen me put on? Have you ever seen me in a wetsuit? I've never seen you swim in autumn, uh, with the exception of the other day. Um, no, I, w- I don't wear a wetsuit. I just don't think. I don't know. It just feels like you're cheating. The last time I put on a wet wetsuit, I think was at Port Douglas when we went out to the inner reef, and they're very tricky to put on. They're very tricky off. to take off. Yeah. So you you um. Your bathers tend to come with them. <laughs> exactly. Now, if you're going to brave the water, you may as well brave it. Corrie, finish this sentence. You get to a certain age and you appreciate... Linen, Caro. Oh, I thought you were going to say your health. No. <laughs> or youth is wasted on the young. Or I'll, one of those. I'll save that for a significant birthday. Honestly, if I go to one more significant birthday and somebody says, you know, we're all so lucky to be healthy here. Can we say something a bit more original? Anyway, Linen. So a few months ago, I was listening to Jane and Fee on Fortunately, and they were discussing this very topic. And it's funny, but I find myself drawn to Linen these days when we go on a, you know, shop in a new area or something like that, or you've got the weekend of traveling around. Bed Linen or Napery or tea towels? Not not fussed, Caro. Tea towels, Napery, cushion covers. Uh, the last um, overseas jaunt, I decided that because I, I had very little money, I thought, well, I've got to have a little memento from everywhere I go. I started buying tea towels, although some of them, particularly in those London art galleries, aren't very cheap. But, uh, you know, I used to lust after handbags and leather boots and you know, things like that. And now I'm looking at the linen. So if, I think it's an age thing. No, I, You know what? I've always been a linen person and I've always gone to the tea towels and the pillowcases ahead of the handbags. I've never been a handbag person, which you can tell by the 
quality of my handbags. There's a lot of ironing involved in this new crush of mine, I have to say. Do you, because um, my kids love sleeping in actual linen, like linen. No, I, no, I prefer the I like cotton. cotton. Yes, yeah. I, I have both. I have both. When we had uh, our other shop in Turak, and of course we used to sell linen, uh, bed linen, and um, I bought myself a pair of sheets, and I do find them a bit um, uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't Can't mind it. it. The pillows aren't quite the same. And remember, you know, people who had um, flannel sheets in winter? Yes. I always found the flannel sheet a bit weird. <laughs> Give me good old cotton No, I, I've never day. been a flannel sheet person. Now, Corrie, you have – oh, no, you've got one for me. I do. Should the AFL have scheduled Birds of Tokyo for Anzac Day game? Gut feeling, absolutely not. Oh, so inappropriate. No. I mean, they have had mu- they, have, they have performers in the Although past. Although one could argue time to move on from the Second World War. Yeah, but it's okay for you and I to say that. We, we can't, we're not the people who make that call, mm. are we? It, it's returned servicemen and their families and women and their families. I just think that, I mean, they have had Mossy in recent years. They've had Kate Sobrano. They've had Daryl Braithwaite. But there's something about... A, band, a rock band like Birds of Tokyo that's not the same as some old Aussie rocker icon. And, you know, I know people say, oh, this is such a cliche, but there is a pub test. And the pub test is, no, nah, bad call. Shouldn't have done it. And re- and I don't know why those decisions get made without – there's such big decisions symbolically. Why you wouldn't – Go and ask a few retired well, why you, well, they say they ran it past CRSL, who are now up in arms, but at the time said that they were fine with it. I don't really understand why that happened. Now, you have a GLT. I do, and it relates to pantry. Guess what it relates to? Weevils. Correctamondo. <laughs> Not again. I've well, never, <laughs> never had a weevil in my life. You seem to live with them. I have possums eating the top of my trees. I, I have, have, living, I have lived. I have lived. I have lived in six different houses in 10 years. And they just seem to be follow they follow you. <laughs> they follow you. Well, these ones, interestingly, Caro, when I discovered a grub, a weevil grub, and I fainted, I just went, oh, you little buggers, you followed me <laughs> You're here. You're back again. I, I threw out all the flour and the arborea rice and everything. Do you know where I found them? This is so bizarre. In the Tupperware that holds the caster sugar and the demerara sugar. What's with that? They've got that's sweet to, tooth. They've got sweet teeth. That's meant to be ants. Do they, have, be do, they have, do weevils have teeth? They have sweet teeth. I can't believe it. Anyway, they, so I had to, uh, instead of washing out the Tupperware, I just threw the whole thing in the bin. And then what, so I. Oh, the waste. So waste. I, and I know our friend Joe, our good friend Joe slash slave slash personal assistant Joe says that her mother, Marie Campion, hi Marie, says bay leaves, scatter them all around. And I've done that before. But I just said, right, that's it. I'm getting stuck into this. So I got online to some very helpful website and it said, once you've identified and removed the infestation, take everything out of the pantry, give it a vacuum and wipe down all the cupboards, pantry shelves and surrounding areas. I mean, by this stage, honestly, you're going, really? And then you've got to make sure you get into every corner and crevice. Well, I can vouch for that. Rather than using chemicals, this website said, use natural cleaners such as eucalyptus oil, tea tree oil or vinegar to wipe down the shelves. So that's what I did and hopefully weevil free. I'll report in. I just look forward to the next weevil story. Where will they go next? Before you close, I just want to say again how thrilled I was to hear from Karina. Karina, our beautiful first Danish nanny in oh, Denmark. It's, I think I need to go to Denmark. Well, I've been I've never there, been. Caro, and, you know, I remember I just said my classic line was, I'm sure I was born in Scandinavia. I feel so at home here with the family rolling their eyes going, oh, my Lord. Well, you look a bit Scandinavian. Oh, thanks for that. Uh, it's been lovely catching up with you and Miss Jane after Easter. No wonder I didn't see so much of you this weekend because you were so busy cooking and swimming. Um, but if, uh, but I'm sure you've had a lovely Easter and I have too. Everyone out there, please tell your friends and family to subscribe to our podcasts. I know it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but if you press those little stars via iTunes, it gives us a good rating and it helps people find us when they go, what are the most popular podcasts in Australia? Oh, look, it's Carol and Corey. There you go. We love your feedback, as you know, because we always read out your comments and tips and everything. So please let us know via the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page what you're thinking, or you can follow us on Instagram at 
Don't Shoot Pod. We're now well over a thousand followers, so we'd love you to join us too. And we also tweet, so you can join at Don't Shoot Pod on Twitter as well. And you can email us, of course, the old fashioned way, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au, or as somebody did the other day, dropped in a little note to the bookshop so you can that do that. That is the as old well. fashioned way, email. That actually is the old fashioned way. Or sending way, right. $100 in the mail. I probably shouldn't have said that. People are now going to raid my letterbox. On a daily basis. It was a one-off, everyone, in case you're thinking. And as we said earlier, our next episode will be our live podcast at the launch of the Miracle Mums campaign. So kickoff time is 7.30. We're going to have breakfast. We're going to be joined by the Lord Mayor, and we're going to do some incredible uh, goodwill work for the Royal Women's Hospital and their Mother's Day appeal. And you can find out about that on our Facebook page and all of those other places I said before. Thanks again to our show sponsors, The Interchange Bench, and, of course, our new sponsor, Vital Smarts, who we love for coming on board. You guys help make this show possible. And, of course, our listeners can find links to their websites in the show notes. So please support these businesses that support our podcast. Caro, looking forward to seeing you at breakfast next week. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger, Corey. Hi, this is Leanne Moriarty. Hi, I'm Anne Summers. I'm Jen Harper. Hello, this is Laura Tingle. Hi, I'm Marcus Suzak. I'm David Maher. Join me on The Book Pod. I hope you can join Corey Perkin and I on The Book Pod. And I think also people often completely underestimate if something is easy to read, they think that means it's easy to write and it's absolutely not. It's such a skill. Always, no matter how abstract the issue, you have to find the narrative and you have to find characters and around those you build the story. You know, some authors take a decade to write a book I would miss the meeting the readers. Subscribe to the book pod. Subscribe to the book pod in your favourite podcast app. Wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, The Interchange Bench, quality, long and short-term staffing. And Vital Smarts, are you having a problem with a family member, friend or work colleague? Are you too scared to raise the issue or simply don't know how? Vital Smarts Crucial Conversations training will teach you this speak-up skills to be able to talk to almost anyone about almost anything. Making tough conversations simple, Corrie. Visit vitalsmarts.com.au.